Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Minimalists podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn, and oh boy, what a month it has been. Ryan and I and our fearless producer, Sean Harding, we've been on the road for the last five weeks or so taking our film, which is called Minimalism, a documentary about the important things all over the continent. And we are finally back here in beautiful Missoula, Montana. And today we're going to bring to you one of our live events. You see, whenever we go to one of these cities, we try to experience a little bit of the city, even though we're there for only a few days. So we'll find some great coffee in, in Dallas, Fort Worth area. It was Craftwork Coffee. We'll find a great museum. We went to the uh, Museum of Modern Art there in Fort Worth. And my God, it was, it was the most beautiful building that I think I've ever seen. It was just amazing. We also went to the Spiral Diner, but we got there right as they were closing, so we're going to have to save that until next time. And, of course, after we experience the city, we really get to experience the city because we get to hug hundreds of people who come to our events. And in Dallas, we got to interact with a bunch of you, and after we screened the film, we brought a bag of answers, and we answered your questions. And so... In today's episode of the podcast, we're going to present to you that live event in Dallas. But before we do, just a couple of quick updates. New over at the blog at theminimalists.com slash wow. That's W-O-W. Wow. Uh, there's a bunch of updates about the film. Uh, the film itself is the, the number one film of 2016 so far. And we'll give you some details about that. And really just want to say thank you for all of your support and everyone who's sharing it. But also the Canadian theatrical release is tomorrow, June 8th. We have a bunch of details there. The Australian release coming really soon, some details on that. But if you're not in those countries, let's say you're in the UK or you're in Brazil or somewhere else, we also have some details for you over at that blog post that talks about how you can get a private or a public screening license so you can show that film in your local theater, your local yoga studio, or even your living room with a bunch of friends. And also we have the online release of the film August 2nd, but if you pre-order the film over at Vimeo, which uh, actually you just go to our website, theminimalists.com slash order, you'll get six hours of bonus content with that. The film is, of course, still in the U.S. theaters as well. Uh, throughout the summer, limited release there. All the details on that at minimalismfilm.com. We also just posted the soundtrack to the film, and there's a bunch of reviews in that blog post that I mentioned. That blog post is simply titled A Bunch of Exciting Updates About the Minimalism Documentary. Also, a quick second update here. I have a writing workshop that I teach a few times a year. It's just a, a one-day online writing workshop it's a radically attenuated version of my four-week class. You see, I teach a, an, a long online class that's four weeks, and I require a whole lot out of my students. So there's a lot of effort, a lot of drudging through the drudgery, and I expect a lot out of the students in that class. And so I tend to, it's strange, I tend to talk people out of taking that class because of the amount of work that it requires. Not because writing is inherently difficult, but putting in the effort 
uh, on, re- on a repeated basis is difficult for a lot of people. And so not everyone has the time, money, resources, whatever, to dedicate to a month-long class. But most people are still looking for best practices or tips and tricks on how to improve your writing. So I teach a one-day workshop. If you're interested in that or if you're interested in, in the the four-week class, you can go to howtowritebetter.org. That workshop is later this month. It is limited seating, but there are still some seats left. So feel free to stop over at howtowritebetter.org and check that out if you're trying to figure out how to improve your writing. And now I want to present to you, I hope you enjoy this live version of The Minimalist's Podcast in Dallas. Well, hello, Dallas. Welcome to a live version. Wow. Thank you. Welcome to a live version of the Minimalist Podcast. I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And that makes us the Minimalists, and we're here in Dallas after everyone just got to see the Dallas premiere of Minimalism, a documentary about the important things. And we're going to take some questions from the audience. You can ask whatever you want. I have a, a, my favorite pedagogical technique is if I don't have the answer to your question, I will just answer a different question. So you can ask whatever you want. We have a bag of answers up here. You will get one of them tonight. Just uh, go ahead and say your name. And uh, just speaking to the mic, say your name and whatever your question is. And, and My we'll... name is Brittany, and I wanted to say thank you so much for coming here. I appreciate it. And... I got a lot of value of this, so my question is, is there going to be some time in the future where I will be able to sit around and add value with showing this to a bunch of my friends and family again? Yes, absolutely. So um, right now we're doing the theatrical release of this. There's a couple things you, you can do here, and um, actually I've got some good news for everyone here. I don't think I've told the other screenings about this for whatever reason, but I'm going to tell you all about it tonight. So. First off, the movie comes out in about 400 theaters across the United States and Canada starting May 24th. And you can also request your own screening as well. If you don't have a screen at your local theater, you can just go to minimalismfilm.com. If you want to invite a bunch of friends to, to a screening, you can do that in, in your local theater. But it will also be available online uh, starting uh, August 2nd. But anyone who pre-orders it online gets uh, six hours of, of like bonus interviews. So when we went out and, interv- and, and did all these interviews and filmed all these sunsets and stuff, um, we, we have about 1,000 hours of content, literally. And uh, we're going to provide six hours of, of bonus interviews as well uh, with that pre-order. But also to all, every single theatrical screening that sells out, they get... A, th- those six hours emailed to them. Well, this sold out about two weeks ago, I think, maybe a week or so ago. So, yeah, you all get that for free. So the short answer is yes, you will definitely be able to, to pass this on to other people. That was really the intention. We, we know that not everyone reads books anymore. Uh, we know that not everyone's going to necessarily read a blog or get on Twitter or whatever. We're constantly finding those different avenues, those different routes to try to communicate with people. And we, we knew that a documentary would be another, uh, another way that we could communicate, another channel through which, another device that we could use to, to spread this, this message of minimalism. So yes, uh, not only will it be available, we would be really grateful if you shared it with other people because we hope they find value in it. Thank you. Hi, my name is Deb. I was on your second podcast. I absolutely love what you guys have done. And I talked about how 
it's affected me and it's affected my son. He's 17. He's here in the audience and it's just completely changed our lives. I've gotten rid of a lot, probably over 50% of my stuff. Last week, I got rid of my kitchen table because I just felt like we just didn't need it anymore. So thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. Um, so it's an honor to be here in front of you guys. Um, one of your podcasts, you guys had mentioned this type of library that someone had set up where there were things like tools, right, where people could go and borrow certain things that they needed just for a temporary time. Do you, do you remember that? It was a library that was set up. People were donating things, or you knew of someone that was starting one. And I was just wondering, uh, are there more that you know of that are being started? Yeah, there. Um, I think you're talking about uh, maybe the tool library that we have in Missoula, Montana. So you can basically go to this uh, this place where not only can you rent tools, um, but people donate like leftover doors or uh, wood or trim or whatever they have. And it's, it's kind of cool because it's like this mix match of like beautiful stuff that people have just given because they have, have it left over from their projects at home. And yeah, certainly um, I've seen more of those pop up. Um, there's a, I think it's Toronto. Um, I'd have to double check that, but uh, it, it's, a, it's called the Stuff Store. And it is literally a library of stuff. Um, and they're just curating whatever they can. So you can go there and borrow you know, a chainsaw or a bread maker. Um, it, it literally has uh, just a wide range of, of stuff um, that, that you can check out. I don't know of anything specifically here in Dallas. Do you know of anything? Yeah, I, I don't know uh, how many people here use FreeCycle, but I'm assuming because it's a large enough city, you can just go to just Google FreeCycle, <laughs> and, and basically it's a library of stuff. Uh, even in Missoula, we have, there's like a, a bicycle library, I guess you could call it. If you, it, you walk past it, it looks like a bicycle graveyard. There's like 2,000 bicycle corpses just laying there. And it's where you can go and assemble your own bike, and, and it's free. And, and so I think we're constantly, or more and more, we are moving from a culture of, of ownership, where we need to own these new consumer goods and constantly consume them to being able to have access to those things. So I'll put this question out to you. If any of you know of a, of a great app or anything uh, or just a local place that you can, can either donate and, and share your stuff as a community, love that. And also for the folks who are listening to this at home and around the world, if you want to give us a call, 406-219-7839. Um, they can leave uh, tips on how to do this as well. What we found is that Ryan and I don't have all the answers. We have about 12 answers. And, and the nice thing is by having a large community of a few million people, there, there tends to be good answers out there. So a lot of people have shared a lot of great tips on our podcast. We, that's why we try to include those voicemails at the end. It's minimalism tips from, from our listeners. So hopefully someone here has, has a recommendation on how to do free cycle or something in your community because they're going to be more familiar with Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, or some people might call in. You'll hear it on the podcast later for sure. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all for coming so much. Um, there are two things I struggle with with minimalism. Uh, the first one is that the blatant consumerism, even within minimalism, where I go for inspiration, it feels like they're trying to sell me things to make me a better minimalist. And I feel like I can't get away from it. And it just, it seems like it's all around and it's something I just can't escape. The second thing is the superiority. We watch these videos of people running into Walmart and saying, oh, I'm better than that. That's not me. I'm not one of those people. 
And I just want to know how y'all operate through minimalism with love and integrity, trying to not be superior or involved in the consumerism. I'll take the consumerism part. <laughs> no, you know, yeah, it's very, well, first off, when you call yourselves the minimalists, like everything you do becomes steeped in irony. Like this isn't a very minimal crowd. We don't sell a very minimal amount of books, uh, so forth and so on. I mean, uh, for me, I have to consume some things. I've got to buy some blue jeans. I've got to eat food. There is a level of consumption we all have to have. And, and this minimalism for me is about consuming responsibly. Um, I would say that, you know, everything that uh, we have put out there, I mean, you're not going to see, like, the minimalist toolkit from us. Uh, we had an April Fool's joke. Um, you know, it was like a $500 black T-shirt we were selling or something, which <laughs> you'd be surprised how many people were like, dude, can I really get this T-shirt? It was crazy. So, uh, so we, we did math on that, by the way. So it was the April Fool's joke this year. Did you all see that? It was 700 and... <laughs> Thank you. Well, if... Now, I, I get that not everyone who clicked the buy now button would have actually purchased the $729 shirt. But if they had, it would have been over $6 million worth of people buying a $700. And it was a Hanes t-shirt, by the way. It, you could see the tag. Um, and the, 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 the worst part was we got several people who didn't get the joke, and they emailed us and said that, uh, where is the actual purchase link? And so <laughs> what I would say is, I don't judge those people. I identify with that. That's, that's me. That consumption is, is who we were. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, anything that we, that we have is, is something that we encourage you to pass on. Anything we sell, I should say, we encourage people to pass on, donate to a library. I mean, even our books, we will say, hey, grab a book. Uh, but when you're done with it, minimize it. Give it to someone who's going to find value out of it. Or uh, if you don't want to have one of our, our, uh, get one of our books, that's fine. I'm sure they have it at the local library. There are, there are certainly ways to, to consume responsibly. And I think that's where we really need to get to as a society. I don't, you know, the, there is this, um, this zero-waste uh, uh, community that's kind of sprouting right now, which I think is awesome. I think that is such an amazing, uh, an, an amazing approach to living one's life. Even in that situation... There's still going to be, you know, someone, come, like, uh, we were down in St. Pete Beach, uh, Florida, um, at the, the coffee shop that you probably heard us talk about, and um, a gal came in with her mason jar, and she's like, you know, I'm zero waste, and, and I thought that was awesome. She brought a mason jar in, like, she's not going to have any waste, but there's so much waste that goes into making that coffee. So I don't think we're ever going to eliminate needing to consume things. I mean, that's how we live to get by, um, but there are certainly ways that we can do it responsibly. And, and I'll agree with you that... You talked about how there's a lot of uh, maybe consumption within minimalism. What I found is that it's become this trendy marketing thing that now you go to the Gap or something, and there's a poster that just says minimalism, and there's like you know a half naked uh, skinny person who is is you know on this poster, and it just says minimalism, and I'm like, minimalism isn't necessarily a product. it can be an experience, and that's why we write books or, or, or have a, a film or anything like that. We encourage people to have the experience, but then to move beyond the experience and actually do something uh, if, you, if you've tweezed any sort of nuggets out of that recipe. So, so hopefully tonight... And by the way, we, so, so uh, this is a great opportunity for me to, um, to pivot here. We have books out there afterward. <laughs> 
And what I'll tell you is um, they're, they're pay what you want. If you, don't have, if you can't afford one right now, we just encourage you to take one on us. Let us buy it for you. And, and we want for you to find some value in it and, of course, minimize it afterward. And hopefully someone else will get value from it as well. And, and just to go to your to kind of to the, the second question you had to speak a little bit more to that, the, the crowds in the beginning, the, the Black Friday sales, that was me. That was who I was. And I wish that someone would have shook me and helped me to see how crazy it was to get in, in, into that mentality. And, and if anything, that's what we're trying to do is, is trying to, uh, to, to relate through our own experiences to show other people that, hey, um, we were there. Um, we, we totally understand where that impulse comes from. But there are ways to curb that impulse. There are ways to uh, still you know, consume in a responsible manner that isn't going to kill off the earth. Thank you. Thank you. Howdy. Howdy. Hi, I'm Jennifer. I'm from Fort Worth. I'm the Cowtown Minimalist, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. At Cowtown Minimalist. Um, <laughs> I sell nothing. My question for you guys, and I know you both speak to it, and, and a lot of the folks you interviewed who I, I know are big followers on Twitter of yours, they speak to minimalism to live intentionally. Um, and I guess what... I and we as minimalists would like to do is do that. What does that mean to you? And what do you think that means to a lot of the folks that you chose to interview? I can tell you what it means for me, and I can try to project that onto them, but, but I think they would tell you best. Um, I can tell you for me, my, if I match my short-term actions with my long-term values, that's what living intentionally is. And that's going to lead to longer-term contentment. So, I could tell you for the longest time, I would tell people that my priorities were my health, my relationships, what I was passionate about, that my, my, my priority was to contribute to my community. I said these things, but those were just lip service priorities. My real priorities was how I was spending my time. So working 80 hours a week, that was a priority. Incessantly checking email at 11 p.m. at night and then five o'clock in the morning as soon as I woke up, that was my priority. My real priorities were getting on to Facebook or, or you know, eating fast food instead of being, eating healthfully. And, and what I learned is that our priorities are how we spend our time. We don't all have the same resources. We're not born in the same situation. We don't have the same careers, the same IQs, the same emotional intelligence, but we all have the same 24 hours in a day. And our priorities are however we spend those 24 hours. And so now being intentional with my time, matching what I do today with the person I want to be, the person I want to become, the person I'm, I'm constantly aspiring to be my 40-year-old self. I'm 34 years old now. And it's really about matching today's actions with that ideal version of myself. Yeah, and just to give you, a, you know, an example um, for what it means for me to live intentionally, a real-life example is I have a, a 2004 Toyota Corolla. It leaks when it rains. Um, as much as I avoid uh, magazines and TV and commercials, I still get, like, car commercials shoved in my face constantly. And every time I see a new car, like, there is a twinge. Like, I wish I could say, yeah, if you read all of our books and, and you buy our minimalist packet, we don't have minimalist packet, <laughs> um, but like, yeah, you're never going to crave to buy anything again. It just doesn't work that way. So I have to ask those important questions. Like, is this going to add value to my life? Is this, does this align with my long-term values? Does this align with my long-term beliefs? 
So like the car, for example, every time I get that twinge, like I really will sit there and think like, man, I know I could probably go out and get a loan for a couple hundred bucks a month. I could totally afford that and uh, have that, you know, weighing on my shoulders for the next, you know, three to six years, depending on what car I got and how long of a loan it was. But at the end of the day, if I make that decision to replace something that really honestly doesn't need to be replaced, uh, that is going to, I'm going to fall short of, of those values and beliefs. So again, just going back to constantly asking, is this going to add value to my life? Does this align with my values and beliefs? That's what living intentionally is for, for myself. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Howdy. I'm a little taller than there. Um, this is my first time, well, this is, this is my uh, first time watching your documentary. I just kind of heard about you guys from one of my roommates. Um, but watching your documentary, I think I get it. Um, avoiding the pitfall of uh, unconsciously consuming or consuming without thought uh, impulsively. Um, but I was just curious, uh, I'd like to hear you maybe more talk about, and you may have already answered my question, uh, but just about the human condition of being uh, discontent, which seems to be like the root of the problem. Because you can fix, uh, you know, okay, now I'm going to consume intentionally and mindfully and thinking about what I do. But after you get that down, uh, um, can you be discontent with minimalism? Yeah. That's impossible. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> no, man. You know, you could, you could go home and rent a dumpster and, like, throw everything away, and I promise you it's possible to be completely miserable and sulk in an empty apartment. There's no doubt about that. I mean, for me, minimalism allowed me to clear the clutter to make room for life's most important things. And what I mean by that is my health... Like, when I, when I was sitting there uh, at, at the end of my packing party, since this is your first time, you don't know what that is, I'll tell you real quick. So when I first started down my minimalism path, um, I had a conversation with Josh, and he told me about this thing called minimalism. I'm like, dude, this sounds awesome. What, what do I do now? I don't, I'm a minimalist, but what, what the heck do I do? So we decided to pack up everything in my 2,000-square-foot uh, condo um, as if I were moving, and then I would unpack things day by day as I needed it to really get a sense of what I was using. So at the end of these three weeks, I had about 80% of my stuff still sitting in boxes. And, and that was like my real big light bulb moment because I was thinking to myself, uh, you know, health is something that has always been important to me. Like I've always talked about it and how I, you know, want to work out and eat healthy. And, you know, it would always happen where I'd pick up a good diet for a couple weeks or start a good workout regimen for a couple weeks and then I'd get busy and I would find excuses to break that habit that I would try to incorporate in my life. And I'm looking at all this stuff and I'm like, man, like if I hadn't wasted so much time uh, just getting all of these accoutrements, I could have probably spent a little bit more time following through with those things. Or um, with my relationships, uh, I, I thought about the my mom who lived a half hour away, my dad, he lived about a half hour away as well. And how I, I saw her maybe, you know, six, seven times a year, major holidays, Mother's Day, uh, her birthday, just rarely ever saw her. And I always told myself, you know, one day 
I'm going to have enough money. I'm going to have enough stuff saved up. I'm, I'm going to have a perfect life for me. And once I have that perfect life, when I'm 50 or whenever that age comes, maybe I retire early at 45 or 40, I'm going to be able to spend all the time I want with my mom. But sitting there with all that stuff, I'm like, wow, if I, if I just could kind of eschew some of this stuff and stop pursuing some of this, I could actually do that now. I don't have to wait another 10, 20, 30 years to do that. So going back to the decisions that I make aligning with my short-term, I'm, I'm sorry, my short-term decisions aligning with my long-term uh, values and beliefs, like that was, a, that was a, a value for me, spending quality time with my mom. And for me, that's where the discontent really sets in is when I keep waking up every morning and I say, one day I'm going to do this, but right now I got to push through this. And sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes you got to make some sacrifices. There's no doubt about that. But there are, there's a certain level of sacrifice um, that's too much. And I think that for me is where the discontent settled in is when I was sacrificing everything, everyone uh, to pursue those, those things. Yeah, I would say that discontent comes from pursuing happiness. Often people will ask us, like, wow, you guys, you've done the minimalism thing. You must be happy now, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm happier than I've ever been, but happiness isn't the point. You see, the problem was I was chasing happiness throughout my, my 20s, and it was always around the corner. But then I'd get around the corner, and it wasn't there. And, of course, it was going to be around the next corner, so I needed the, the new car. You know, I already had one Lexus, but I needed a second Lexus. I needed a bigger house. I needed a promotion. I needed my, the, the trinkets, the trophies of success. And once I got those, of course, I was going to be happy. But, of course, that didn't happen. The, the, the closer I got to happiness, the farther away it was. And eventually what I figured out is it was the pursuit of happiness that was making me discontent. And so the point isn't happiness. The point is living a meaningful life. And then happiness is a really awesome byproduct of that. And so now if I'm living meaningfully, in our first book that we wrote, I'd love to give you a copy of it if you're interested in having it. Um, it's called Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life. We wrote about the, the five higher order values uh, of, of living more meaningfully. And, and it was what Ryan and I identified with after the stuff. So the stuff was the initial bite at the apple that changed everything for us. But then it was like, okay, what do I focus on? My health. Well, I weighed 80 pounds more than I weigh now. My relationships, I forsook them. So I didn't, I didn't have my closest friends closest to me. I was spending all my time with coworkers and networking buddies and executives and, and, and not with the people I, care, I said I cared about. And then uh, what I was passionate about, I wasn't focused on that. I wasn't focused on growing. I wasn't focused on contributing to the world. And, and that's what a meaningful life looks like to me now. It's not about chasing that next ephemeral indulgence to make me happy. So uh, if afterward, if you, or if you just want to grab a book out there, a copy of Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life, I think you'll find some value in it for sure. Thank you. And uh, if you guys ever have time, if you could make a petition to help America, like, stop working full-time, that would be great. Yeah, amen. All right, who was tall? G'day. Um, my name is Cheryl Collette. Man, that's southern accent. Uh, I, I know, I know. Um, well, welcome to Texas. Thank you. <laughs> 
Um, I have three boys. They're uh, 10, 8, and 3. They're known as the Itty Bitty Foodies. And they know you guys as the guys who delete their stuff. Every week after I listen to your podcast. So, hey, I'm um, happy to be the bad guy. <laughs> you can blame it on us with anyone else in your life if it makes it easier. So I was wondering, um, I realize you guys are single, but um, whether you had any tips on how to reach little kids and on how to live you know, with less. It's really easy for, uh, yeah, really easy for us to give advice. Well, for me, because I have no kids. Um, just... <laughs> Just throw out all their stuff. I don't know. That's going to be fine. <laughs> you know, I, I will, uh, I'll tell you, I'll just give you one example of um, a parent who came to one of our events um, who shared with us kind of a technique she used with her, da her, little, her daughter. Um, she basically, this question came up, and usually I'm like, you know, I, I will recommend other people who are minimalists who have children, and that's kind of my answer. But she stood up, and she was like, you know, I, I have an answer for this. Uh, my, my little girl at home, I hate to tell her no. I just hate telling her no. So I will say yes as often as I can. Uh, and the example she used was she will come home with a, an art piece, you know, something she did at school. And she'll say, hey, Mom, you know, look at this thing I colored today. Can we please put this on the refrigerator? And her mom will say, yeah, we can absolutely do that. Now, there's, you know, there's already art covering the refrigerator. So there's really not room for it. But she'll say, yeah, we can totally do that. Let's go over and pick which one you want to take down. And it's kind of this one-in, one-out rule that she has. It's the same thing with toys. If she, you know, she goes to her mom and says, hey, um, I uh, really want this toy, and it's appropriate, and they can afford it. She'll say, yeah, we can absolutely do that. Which toy would you, which toy would you like to donate and uh, give to a, a, a child who, who could really, another child who could really use this? So I thought that was a pretty cool, pretty cool approach. I became a, a parent by proxy last year. Uh, I, I was just backstage FaceTiming with my partner, uh, Becca, and her two-and-a-half-year-old, Ella. And she was saying, hey, Josh, look what I have, a snake. It was, it was a piece of floss. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I've learned so much over the course of the last year or so uh, with, with you know, parenting. And, and what I've learned ultimately is, well, there's a big lesson in here from Joshua Becker. Our kids are watching us. And you can tell them something in, until you're blue in the face, but they pick up on our actions. They pick up on the nuances. It's really hard to bullshit a two-and-a-half-year-old. They, they know what's up. And, and so what I found is that they're content with virtually nothing. Her and Becca today spent the day gardening and planting kale in, in, in the garden. And, and she was so happy and excited about that. But what I can tell you is there are a bunch of resources out there uh, because I don't think any one person has any magic answers. But um, So Leo and Joshua Becker are two great places to start. If you just go to theminimalists.com slash children, uh, there's a book there from Joshua Becker called Clutter Free with Kids. And we asked Leo to write an essay for us because, you know, he has six kids. And he is, like, he is minimalism personified. I mean, he is, like, the ultra-minimalist. And so uh, he wrote an essay for us called No Excuses, Minimalism with Six Kids. And, and what I can tell you is I found a lot of value in both of those resources. And I think you would, too. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, guys. Um, I'm Matt. 
and um, you're familiar, Matt. Yeah. We've met before. Yes, we have several times. Yes, um, sir. I just want to say thank you so much for coming back to Dallas, um, and just so much stuff that I've picked up on from from you guys um, has helped me in my life. Um, addiction was the first thing, and I've incorporated minimalism in my life, not so much so that it that it's a new addiction but it definitely has helped me um, you know, to, to, to focus on what really matters and what's important for me. Um, and Joshua, um, I really incorporate you know, no labels on my clothing and no logos and stuff like that, and, and that helps me be conscious of what I'm purchasing. Um, the, the questions that I have, first off, um, we met, and this was like four, probably four years ago, went to eat around the corner um, at a restaurant, and you posted on Twitter, hey, anybody that wants to come, join us, and I was the only one. Yeah. Five years later, there's 500 people in this auditorium, and did y'all see this growing as, as big as it's gotten? Did you ever see it getting this, this huge? And also, what city around the U.S. do you think um, values minimalism or... or or is is more accepting or open to minimalism if you've seen a city or a state that that embraces it more than than another which part do you want to take i'll take the first part okay it's it's funny cuz like anytime i get asked about like is there any city that stands out for x y or z it's so hard to like just choose any city so i'm going to take the first question <laughs> um no we never saw it getting this big um it was it was a really natural uh, growth that that has happened over the last uh, almost six years now, um, which I really appreciate because like we've never really went viral. It's not like you know we were kind of here and then all of a sudden boom you know five hundred people were showing up to our events. Um, it's and it's been it's just been good that way because uh, yeah it's it's helped me gain practice to talk in front of crowds and be able to you know be a better public speaker and stuff. Um, but no, man, uh, I am really shocked, honestly, <laughs> that, it, that it's at this point. Um, but I am really grateful that I am able to share this story and, and have so many people find value in it. And, and we will continue to, to explore different ways. Um, somebody, was it the Chicago Tribune? Somebody called this thing a multimedia project um, that, that we were being interviewed by and I was and I was like man that is a perfect term for this like this really is uh, it's like a multimedia project that uh, is really affecting a lot of people's lives so we will continue to uh, uh, do the, our podcast we will continue to do some video in some form or fashion um, we haven't really decided on exactly how we're going to do that but you know as long as people are still showing up as long as people are you know, still coming up to us or writing in and saying, man, you have totally changed my perspective on life and have really helped me gain control. We will continue to, to do this, and hopefully hopefully, we can reach more and more people and help more folks. In terms of cities, I think it, it depends on, on the individual. You know, we both moved to Missoula, Montana um, toward the end of, of 2012. So when we met, we, we still lived in, in Dayton, Ohio, Ryan and I did. And uh, I can tell you the temperament there is very in line with, with our values. In fact, we go out there and it's like you're preaching to the choir in, in Missoula, Montana. Everyone's like, well, yeah, that's what you do, minimalism. Like, that's, that's the thing. And, and, and I didn't know it had a label. And, but I also think that 
a big city, a place like like Los Angeles, is actually a great place for a minimalist as well. And and I realized that during the filming of this, because after talking to so many people, as I talked about earlier, we're shifting from a culture of ownership to a culture of access. Well, cities, big cities in particular, have shared resources. And so you have access to more things when you're in, in a large environment. So it depends on what you like and what you need access to. See, I, I don't snowboard, but Ryan loves snowboarding. And so he has access to that within, you know, within an hour of where we live, there's an hour and a half, there's five different places he can go and, and snowboard. And, and so having access to that is important to him. He doesn't have to own the mountain in order to, to snowboard on it. And so being in a city gives you access to amenities that you may have not otherwise had in a, in a, uh, a place like Missoula, Montana. So I think it depends on, on your personal preference, what you're looking for. Thanks so much, guys, and happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Oh, yeah. I saw a lot of mom stuff in there, and I was like, well, nice Mother's Day, mom. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Hey, guys. My name's Philip. Uh, just really grateful that you guys are here in person. It's really cool after following you guys for you to be here. Um, I've been on a minimalism journey for a long time, and for my whole life, I feel like I've been an avid consumer of information. And so, like, a lot of my time is spent reading about social issues or political issues or science or education. And I think all these things, uh, they help me be a better citizen and they add value to my life. But the problem is that I, I never feel like I can be informed enough or enlightened enough because there's just too much information. Like, I literally have hundreds of tabs open on my phone right now of articles I'd like to read but there's just not time to, to get to them all. Um, and so I guess my question is, how, do I come, how does someone come to terms with that and still feel like they're uh, growing in, and becoming more of the person that they want to be? Um, I would challenge you to close every single one of those tabs after this. <laughs> but... <laughs> well, I mean, the reason why I say that is because you're right, man. We, we are overloaded with information. Um, the, 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 what you brought up specifically about the articles, I used to be the same way. So I, I used to have, um, and, I, and I do to an extent, um, I used to have this miscellaneous folder on my web browser that I would like put articles in that I want to read later. And then what I found was exactly what you're dealing with. And there was one day where I was like, I'm just going to delete it all. Um, I have no idea what's in there. I'm not going to start filtering through it because I know I'm going to be like, oh, well, no, I'll keep that one. I'll keep that one. But the fact was is I hadn't looked at any of those in months. And that's kind of how I look at it now. Um, now what I do is I will bring an article down. Instead of putting it in a folder, I will put it on the actual shortcut menu. So if that shortcut menu is full I will either uh, and I want to bring something else down, I will either read what's in that shortcut menu or I will be like, no, this is more important than that, and I'll totally disre yeah, disregard it. So um, I all the information that you have pulled up in your browsers right now, I promise you, you will come across the majority of that information again at some time. But that, that's one way that I help prior, prioritize all that stuff. At first, I put some fairly draconian rules in place to, to deal with that because I also had that fear of missing out. Um, actually, I'm going to give you a copy. Uh, this will be a shorter answer. I'll give you a copy of our book, Essential, because there's a whole, tech, uh, there's a whole technology chapter in there. Uh, one of the essays that, that's in there is one of my favorites. It's called Most Emergencies Aren't. The problem is we start treating everything like emergencies now it, 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 to the point where we can't discern what an actual emergency is versus you know, what a 
just a, a twitch is. Um, in fact, my, my friend Julian Smith, he, he wrote a book called The Flinch, and, and it's about how we have this, this biological imperative. If someone swings a fist at us, we're going to flinch. We're going to tense up. We're supposed to. We're protecting ourselves. But now we, we flinch at things like a 1% drop in our 401k over the last quarter, and we're flinching for all of these things that, that don't require a flinch. And so we're overwhelmed by anxiety because of it. And so I found that one of the things that was really overwhelming me was my technology. And so I found ways to take back control of that technology by putting in some rules in place, temporarily depriving myself of things, and then bringing the tools back into my life in a way that was more intentional by temporarily removing it. So I'd love to give you a copy of Essential afterward, and I think, I think you'll find some value in that. I promise you, man, if you, if you close all 100 of those tabs out, you are going to feel so much better, man. So I just want to give you a little encouragement. We'll be checking your phone afterward during the hugs. No. Thanks a lot. Hi, I'm Gail. I'm from Fort Worth, too. Um, I feel like an imposter when I'm in a group like this because I'm an aspirational minimalist, but I have a lot of shit. And I... <laughs> Admitting been, it is the first step. I no. have been I have been working for three years. I've done the minimalist game for eight months, for eight full months. But I still eight months in a row. Well, not in a row, but I've oh, done okay, eight okay. full okay, months. Okay, I got you. You know, so I've gotten rid of thousands of things, and I still have a lot to go. And so my question is, I just wonder sometimes, like when I'm in a group like this. I don't feel like I deserve to be here. And I wonder, show of hands, how many people are minimalist and how many people just want to be? You know, how many people are there? So, so raise your hand if you are a minimalist or if you want to be a minimalist. Ready, go. <laughs> See, no, it's no, everyone. No, no, You're no. part of the group. Yeah. <laughs> you belong here. <laughs> you know what I meant. <laughs> well... First, I want to commend you on, on doing the, the things you have already done, playing the men's game over the past eight months. It's and getting overwhelming, re- and though. It is. It absolutely is. I mean, it, it, minimalism is not easy. I mean, you heard me say it at the end there, and I think it's too often, you know, we hear the word simple, and we think that that is synonymous with easy. And I, simple is not necessarily easy. So that's why I want to commend you, because what you've done is, is a lot of hard work, taking those steps Really, you know, well, first off, I'll tell you, I wasn't a minimalist until I said I was. I mean, there was no magic, okay, all right, Josh, am I officially minimalist now? I had my packing party and got rid of 80% of my stuff. Here's Um, your certificate. (laughs) For sale out in the lobby. I'm kidding. (laughs) But, but, uh, But, yeah, I mean, what you're doing right now, you're absolutely living in line with that philosophy. What I would encourage you to do is to keep doing that. I would encourage you to keep... Keep getting rid of thousands of things. Keep playing the men's game. If you want to, um, you know, find uh, some support, uh, there is a minimalist.org group that gets together all the time in Dallas. Um, actually, Mindy's here from the uh, the group. Yeah, she's back there. So there was like nine of them that met before the movie, uh, before the movie, and they just you know kind of sat and talked with each other, and they support each other. There's no agenda. There's it's not like you go there and like okay, you know, Josh and Ryan sent us these topics to discuss. It's not like that. It's it really is uh, to go there and 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 to support and to be supported. So uh, I would encourage you to uh, find people who who encourage you and, and to surround yourself with really awesome people. But even if you if you if you don't do that. 
and you just continue to play the men's game, you, I promise you one day you will look around and you will go, oh, my God, where did all my stuff go? Okay. <laughs> That's what I want. Yeah, I, I, would, I would definitely encourage you to, to find supportive people. That helped, that helped me raise my standards. And by raising my standards, I improved my life significantly. And so I think the minimalist.org group, and, and Mindy will be out there after, afterward with, uh, we'll be over at a table giving yeah, out hugs and stuff. Yeah, a long way from Fort Worth. Yeah, well, I mean, I, they might be willing to, to meet halfway or something at some point. What's halfway? Arlington? I, I don't know. I don't know the geography here. Houston, is that halfway? <laughs> no, we, we, were in, we were in Fort Worth earlier today. And, um, yeah, so I know it, it's a bit of a drive. But um, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. It, finding people who are going to be supportive, even if it's online. So joining the, the minimalist.org meetup group. We, when we went on tour in 2014, part of which you saw there, we went to 100 different cities in eight different countries, and we left behind these free local meetup groups in, in 100 cities just with the hopes that we could connect people. We don't want anything from you. It doesn't require an email address or anything from you. We, we just want to leave that behind so you can connect with open-minded, supportive people. And even if that isn't connecting in person all the time. There's this group that's constantly online on, on Facebook that you can you can connect with those people and, and support each other virtually. Yeah, so just to kind of reiterate, if you go uh, to minimalist.org, you can click on the Dallas and then you go to the Facebook page. Um, there's also an online city Facebook page that you can join. Yeah. And in and, and both of those, I mean, there is people just like you who are playing the men's game and they're posting pictures of things they're getting rid of. And it is really kind of cool to see this community of people, especially in the online city, people who have never met each other in real life, but they go on there and they're, they're totally there to encourage and support and, and to be supported. One last thing. I'm not in, in favor of organizing. I think organizing sucks. Mm -hmm. I had a very organized life. <laughs> Thank you. I had a very organized life, but I was a well-organized hoarder. Organizing was a way for me to just hide my, my clutter. But I might encourage you to find a professional organizer because professional organizers know that the easiest way for you to organize your stuff is to get rid of most of it. So maybe find a, a, a local professional organizer. I bet you there's even one that attends the, the minimalist.org group at some point. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Howdy. Hi, I'm Lacey. I just wanted to tell you quickly, I came to one of your first tours. I, I almost came. I came to see you guys at a little coffee shop in Mesa, Arizona. I was in school at ASU, and I didn't come in. I came to the parking lot, and I was like, I want to talk about minimalism with those guys so bad, but Ryan Nicodemus is so cute that I'm too nervous to go in there. <laughs> I told her to say that. So I'm really grateful to get to be here today to get to talk to you guys. And my question is a little bit about parenting too, but more about relationships. I know that's really important to you guys. I have three small children and I teach them a lot. And we do talking about consumerism and consuming. And every time we buy something, we're like, you know, where did this come from? Like who made this? How much did they get paid? Stuff like that. But I have a huge extended family and every time my kids go somewhere with grandma or aunts or grandpa, they come home and they're like, we got Shopkins and cards and we didn't have to talk about any of it. It was great. <laughs> and it hurts my feelings. <laughs> so I guess what I'm, I'm asking is, 
what's a way, um, is there a way that you guys have been able to talk to friends and family about what you're doing and what, it, what minimalism is about without damaging the relationship? Yeah, so, so here's the thing about gifts. It's a sensitive subject the closer you get to the, the holiday or gift-giving occasion, right? The problem is we wait until Thanksgiving to start trying to set expectations about Christmas gifts. Uh, it is May 8th today. It's already starting to become too late to start talking about Christmas. That's how soon you need to start talking about Christmas with your friends and family. It's really about setting expectations. And I found that, that if I set my expectations well in advance and frequently enough, but it's not just about telling people what I don't want. What I don't want isn't interesting. I talk to them about what I do want. Gift me an experience. Or if you want to give me a physical thing, give me a consumable, a great bag of coffee or a bottle of wine, something that, that I can enjoy with you and generally something that I can experience, whether it's a concert or, or we're just going to go watch a sunset together, whatever it may be, I found that if I set that expectation well in advance and frequently, people are more open to it. Because why do people give you gifts in the first place? They want you to be happy. They want to communicate their love for you, right? That we've been told that gift giving is a love language. Yeah. It's like saying pig Latin's a romance language. The truth is people are trying to... The, the act itself of gift-giving is meaningful. The physical artifact itself, there's no meaning in that thing. Here's a shiny widget. Here's how much I care about you. I've also found that when I like to give gifts, I will do so on non-obligatory days. So today is Mother's Day, and so people are going to give each other gifts. Fine. But isn't it much more meaningful if you were to say, hey, it's April 23rd. Here's this thing. I thought you'd find a lot of value in it. But what is today? Is it Mother's Day? No, no. It's not a special day other than every day is special because you're in my life, and I care about you, and I thought you'd find value in this. And I think if you do that and communicate it frequently, it's about changing the behavior over, over a long time, not, not an instant uh, flip of a switch. Um, yeah, I mean, I instantly think of my mom who, like, called me up a month after the website was was launched and she was like hey how's it going i'm like it's going great how are you and she's like i'm doing well what's this minimalist crap <laughs> i was like oh you found the website because like we hadn't told anyone she had must have been googling my name or something to <laughs> to come across it and uh i'm like oh yeah you found the site awesome what do you think and she's like i really don't know what to make of it like are you depressed <laughs> are you are you not going to be around for holidays anymore uh, can I still buy you stuff? <clears throat> and I'm like, well, mom, yes, I am depressed, actually. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'm really in a rut, and I need to get out of it. And uh, what I've been doing the last, you know, several years of my life isn't working, and I'm trying a different approach. Um, I said, but, you know, when it comes to holidays, of course, I'm going to be around for holidays. In fact, I hope to be around more than than just the holidays. I hope to be around more for just your birthday and Mother's Day. I really hope that I can really foster a, a better relationship between us. And uh, when it comes to buying me stuff, like, yeah, I would really appreciate it if you wouldn't get me anything. And she was like, well, I'm really glad that you're changing your life, uh, but I'm still going to get you stuff because I'm your mother. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I suppose she has that right. 
So um, I explained to her, like, well, Mom, if you get me something, I'm going to have to, uh, you know, really, really determine whether or not I need it. And if I don't need it, if it's not something that adds value, and when I say adds value, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, does it bring me joy? Uh, uh, it, does it serve a purpose? If it's something that I can't use in my life, if it doesn't fit in my life, I'm going to have to give it away to someone whose life it does fit into, or I'm going to donate it. Which, don't tell your mom that. That's a horrible thing to say to your mother. She knows. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so so uh, eventually, um, you know, after she got done uh, yelling at me for giving her that, that answer, um, I just eventually kind of calmed her down, and I'm like, Mom, I love you. You love me, right? She's like, yes, of course I love you. I'm like, I, I want you to be happy. You want me to be happy too, right? And she's like, yeah, of course I want you to be happy. I said, well, if that's the case then I don't need you to have a packing party. I don't need you to call yourself a minimalist. Um, you don't have to clean your house before I come over and make sure everything's nice and tidy. Like, I'm not going to come to your home and judge anything. I mean, this journey is about me uh, trying to get out of this rut. And, and all I need from you is support. That's it. And that's what really kind of got through to her and, and, and really made her kind of change her heart a little bit. And she still bought me stuff. Like, don't, don't get me wrong. In fact... Um, she visited uh, me and my girlfriend uh, last February. She came out to stay with us. And, like, we pick her up from the airport. She brings a suitcase into the apartment. She opens it up, and, like, the first thing she pulls out is, like, this owl vase and, like, a couple <laughs> candle holders. And, I'm, and the first thing I thought was, like, oh, man, I'm, all right, I got to make another trip to Goodwill. That's fine. I was just there a couple <laughs> weeks ago, but that's all right. Um, but, you know, before I could really process that thought, she she said to me, you know, I know that... Uh, you have really been changing uh, your life over the last four years, and I can see that. And I'm really, really proud of you. And I love that you and Mariah uh, flew me out here and that you're letting me stay in your apartment. And I know you just got this place, and I just really wanted to show you a token of my appreciation um, to let you know how proud I am of you. And, and, uh, and I just want to give you these gifts. But I do understand that if this doesn't fit into your home, that you are going to probably donate it or you know, find someone who can use it. It took her four years to get to that point <laughs> before, she, before she was able to say that to me. So uh, I guess, you know, what I would encourage you to do is, is to, have, to have a similar conversation with friends and family who, you know, who do love you and do want you to be happy. And if, and if that is the case, I mean, th they should be willing to support you in some, some form or fashion. Um, but Keep living by example. Keep keep up the good work, and and I know that they will see that, and they will eventually come around. If they love you, want to want to see you happy, I'm I'm sure they will eventually come around. Hello, um, hello, little I, lady. Um, I just had a question because like I see teachers at my school, and they always throw away things that I think that they can use for stuff, and mm. like I have like a bunch of trash that I like take it and use for stuff. And, like, I was wondering if there's, like, any way that I could give you things for people that actually need them or, like, that can find a purpose in them. So, so the question is really, I, I would just rephrase it a little bit here and, and say, so I don't know if all of you heard that, but, but uh, sometimes our teachers throw out things that could probably be reused, repurposed elsewhere as opposed to going to just fill up a, a landfill. And... and I don't know what local organizations there are here. Uh, we have several in our local community in, in Montana. Um, there's a place called Donation Warehouse. 
but there's a, a website that curates a bunch of donation places all over uh, the country. It's called donationtown.org. And I, I would definitely recommend trying that out. If you know of, of, of resources or materials that can be used elsewhere and you can help people not throw the stuff out, then uh, I think donationtown.org is a great place to do it. A lot of these places will actually come and pick up those, those items so that you don't have to deal with it. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. I mean, I, I, my first thought when I have something that I, I can't use anymore or, um, yeah, it's, it's, I just, you know, haven't used it in the last six months or something. I'm like, wow, I'm not going to use that in the next six months. I need to get rid of that. My first thought isn't I'm going to throw this away. My first thought is, okay, can I donate this? Um, if it's like a valuable item, I can't think of the last time I did this um, besides my packing party a few years ago. Um, I would, you know, maybe try and sell it on Craigslist, find someone else who is looking uh, for that item who can, you know, get it at a cheaper cost. Um, but yeah, I would, I would certainly agree with that, that there are ways to um, uh, reuse, reuse items instead of just throwing them out. Great, thank you. Thank you. How's it going, fellas? Outstanding. Awesome. How you doing? Doing well. Doing well. I'm Paul, and I uh, I wanted to know if you guys would like to hear a joke. Yes. How many minimalists does it take to screw in a light bulb? Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, was that the joke, really? Yeah. Oh my god. That was god. the setup. What? You read my mind here. You read my mind here. Wait, is the punchline what light bulb? No. <laughs> All right. What is it? It only takes one minimalist, but first they have to un ask themselves, does this add value to my life? <laughs> <laughs> That's good, man. That is awesome. Uh, I do have a bit of a serious question, though. So did you guys ever experience, I've, I've read a lot of your material, did you guys ever experience any legal um, problems whenever you were trying to embrace minimalism and maybe downsize? Because housing codes are something that I'm dealing with currently, and I'm interested in tiny houses, but Dallas is not very friendly towards them. And so I was wondering if you guys ever experienced that problem and if there was a workaround or if you have any ideas. Uh, I, I've not experienced it personally, but I do have, have a few ideas. So I don't live in, in a tiny home. Um, I, you know, and that's why we interviewed a bunch of different perspectives here, whether it was Tammy or Jay or, or Frank, you know, in terms of the housing segment of this, or even Joshua Becker and his family in the suburbs in, in a relatively larger house. Um, but, but you have uh, several people of the tiny homes. Uh, I would urge you to reach out to, to Jay Alston. He was just in our DC screening a few days ago, and he has a bunch of resources and a bunch of ways to get around codes, and he has dealt a lot with, with a lot of the, the legality behind it, especially in DC. They weren't very friendly with his community, and they had to, they had to do some really strange workarounds for some of the stuff they did. And, and uh, what I'll tell you is that I know that as this bec this trend becomes less of a trend and more of, of a permanent fixture in our lives. I stayed in a container house about three or four weeks ago in the middle of nowhere, Montana. Uh, it was and it was awesome. I'd never been in a container house before. It was bigger than a tiny home, but but smaller than a regular home. But they're they're sort of customizable. You could fit four or five containers together, and all of a sudden you've got a three bedroom container home. And and when I hear when I first heard container home, I'm like, oh, well, that's well, that that seems awful but it was this architect who, who made it and it was one of the most gorgeous houses i've ever stayed in i mean the aesthetics the attention to detail 
everything was beautiful. And because it was a smaller space, it was very well curated. And, and, and you could tell that he had put a lot of effort, thought, attention into every you know, square foot of that space. So, no, I don't have any particular resources for you, but that's why I put some people in here. I think Jay, because he is a tiny house designer, he, he, and he is, uh, he's helped a bunch of people along this journey, I think he'd be a great place to start. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Howdy. Hi, my name is Shannon. You guys helped me a lot. I've downsized about 90% of my things. Just wanted to tell the lady um, who was asking about downsizing how to do it. If you get a friend who really loves you, they will help you because they will tell you like it is and they will help you throw it away. Yes. Um, it's so way easier to get rid of other people's shit, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I've already downsized, so I have a two-part question. One is how do you get over the... I want to say the grinding mentality when you're young, you know, once you started to embrace minimalism, it's like everybody around you is like you, you like you have to be working for something. You have to be, you know, how do you get rid of that? And also, secondly, how do you once you become a minimalist, you know, it's less time taking care of things and less TV and everything like that. What do you replace it with? Like, how do you know what you love? Because you've been trained to do something or work or your time to be managed by other people. How do you really take control of it? So, so the first part about the people around you who, who, who dictate a, a particular set of priorities, the, the rat race, as it's called, right? right? The problem with the rat race is if you win, you're still a rat. Yeah. I'll tell you, the best advice I can give you is, is a, a short platitude. You can't change the people around you, but you can change the people around you. Okay. So you shouldn't try to change the people in your life. What I found that is that I worked with some good people, but their, their values weren't the same as mine. And that's okay. We're all different. And now, you know, six, seven years after, after stumbling across this minimalism thing, I have surrounded myself with people who have similar values to me. It doesn't mean we're the same types of people. We have different beliefs. I mean, even if you look at just me and Ryan, we've been best friends for 25 years. But we, uh, we certainly don't have believe the same thoughts on, on religion. We don't believe the same thoughts on, on politics. We're definitely voting for different people there. We have different beliefs. Right? We even have different personalities. If you put us on a Myers-Briggs personality test, we're literally exact opposites. But the, the key to our friendship, the key to our relationship, is that we share similar values. And so I would find people who have similar values to you. And to get there, you first got to figure out, what are my values? And minimalism was the step for me that got that stuff out of the way to figure out what, what those values were. Yeah, um, speaking to, you know, what do, I, what do I do with my time now? I mean, now I have way more time to, especially in Montana, like just, I mean, I could not pick up enough hobbies. Like, it's just, there's so many things to do out there. Which, you know, side note, like, it takes everything I have to not go out and buy, like, a fly fishing pole and all the accoutrements that come with that. Um, but I already snowboard, I already mountain bike. Um, those are, like, my two, uh, like, big hobbies that I have in Montana. So uh, my girlfriend also does, does those two things. So that, that's, that's what I do, like, when I have time, um, which, you know, I would love to say that, you know, now that I'm a minimalist, I have all the free time in the world. Like, I still work really, really hard. 
Um, we are on this tour right now. We did a 100-city tour in 2014, so I still do work really, really hard. Right. Um, but, but when I do have that extra time, those are kind of the things that I go to, is how can I, how can I um, either get fit some way? Like, I, I, I will try to stay active on a daily basis, whether it's going to the gym or mountain biking or going for a walk. I mean, there are mountains all around us, so we will go out and do that. But, but ultimately, um, I guess it's just my really long-winded way of saying that I will focus on cultivating different passions that I have that have nothing to do with an end game. That has nothing to do with a uh, result of, well, I'm going to you know, write this book or I'm going to affect this many people's lives. I mean, sometimes I do need to veg out, and, and that's kind of my way of vegging out. I still will you know, uh, catch up on a season of this or that you know, if, if uh, time allows it and it's something that me and my girlfriend really want to do. Um, but ultimately, uh, that's, that's what I'm doing um, with my extra time is kind of cultivating, cultivating the passions that I have. I, I, I will say um, I, learned, I learned this throughout this whole experience that this philosophy or the saying, I guess, that is uh, propagated throughout our, our society of, you know, if you find something that you really, really love to do, you don't work a day in your life. And I really bought into that. Even like when I uh, started to, we started to get a lot of traction with the minimalists, and I'm like, oh wow, we could like write a book and maybe you know make uh, make make a, a meager living off of that, and and um, I don't have to go and get you know a 40 hour a week job. Maybe I can focus on this because I was really passionate about it. But that 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 saying is kind of BS, honestly. Um, I, I think there are people out there who certainly can say. Yes, I do what I love, and I don't work a day in my life, but I don't think that is a realistic expectation for every single person on this planet. Mm -hmm. um, I still work really, really hard. The difference is now uh, that work that I do when I put in um, you know, a 50- or 60-hour work week, um, it, the results that I get is much more meaningful than you know, when I was training my guys to show their guys how to sell cell phones to, to, to little kids. Sean's giving me the wrap up back there. So what we're gonna do, we're gonna do a lightning round. This is so uh, on our podcast we do like the social media lightning round thing. So uh, if you can do a verbal tweet to us, that would be awesome. That way we can make sure we answer all of your questions to, for everyone who is still in line. We want to make sure we get to it. So come on up, we'll, we'll uh, and ask your question. Okay. Yeah. My name is Tiffany, and I'm really short. Okay. My question is, after um, living the lifestyle of minimal minimalism through all these years, are you kind of comfortable with it? Are you constantly having to check yourself? Do you feel the need to um, explore different ways of living since there are so many different ways of being a minimalist? Yeah, I, th I think you don't ever get there. I wish it was, here's your list of 100 items you can own and then you'll be happy because that would be easy. But the truth is, it's like a horizon. And so my 34-year-old self is different from my 29-year-old self when I first found minimalism. I guess I was 28 when I first found minimalism. And, and so my needs are different. And so what minimalism looks like to me now, especially as, as being a, a parent by proxy, my, my needs look different from even what they were a few years ago. And, and I'm constantly changing that. So I'm always looking toward that new horizon. And once I get to the horizon, the beautiful thing is there's always going to be a new horizon. So you won't ever get there because once you get there, you have somewhere else you're going. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Christina. Um, I'm from Dallas, and I have um, 
in regards to the question earlier about local resources uh, for donating, uh, there's Mission Arlington and Union Gospel Mission in Fort Worth. Uh, but I do have a question. Uh, my husband and I are very passionate about traveling. We just went, came back from California this weekend, and we want to know if you have if you've written any essays or have any trips for minimizing cost and stress that, that's involved with traveling. Um, you know, when I first was introduced to minimalism, Colin Wright, uh, the guy in the film, was the first video that I saw, and like I have never wanted to like be that peripatetic writer that, that Colin is, but I really respected the fact that he used minimalism to kind of do that. Um, I, I personally don't have, I haven't written anything on traveling and, and uh, uh, you know, minimizing the cost, but I would, I will tell you that there are a lot of good resource, resources out there. So there's one guy, his name is Matt Kepnes. Uh, he goes by Nomadic Matt. Um, he has a book, it's called uh, How to Travel the World on $50 a Day. Um, there is uh, Colin Wright, ExileLifestyle.com. He does a great job of talking about his travels and kind of how he's able to uh, travel on a, on a tight budget um, and has some good tips there. Is there anything else you can think of? Yeah, he also has a book called um, How to Travel Full-Time. And I, I would recommend both of those as, as great resources. How to Travel on $50 a Day and, and then How to Travel Full-Time. And then also uh, I would just talk to other people about don't confuse travel with vacation. They're two separate things. And I think quite often we, we get confused and think we have to, every time we go somewhere, be on vacation. That's usually not the most economical way to, to travel. Actually, you know what? I will tell you, we did that first year when we toured with, um, this is not very lightning round, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> when we um, traveled with Minimalism, Live a Meaningful Life, I made less money that year um, than I had made since I was like 18 years old. I traveled more that year um, than the entire 28 years of my life building up to that. And, and the way we did that was, it was a lot of sacrifices. I mean, we slept on hardwood floors. We slept in our car. Um, we, we, you know, were in roach motels. Um, <laughs> we, we, we found ways like that. So, I mean, there are definitely ways that I can recommend. I thought you were, like, nudging me. Um, <clears throat> uh, yeah, there are definitely ways that I can recommend that I've done personally. I don't know if that's the type of sacrifices you and your husband want to make, but th <laughs> certainly a few ideas right there as well. And you don't have to make those sacrifices, by the way. That was just okay. uh, a way for us to get out and spread the word. There, there are plenty of resources out there that allow you to travel on, on a very low budget, for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We'll keep the lightning round going. Hello. Howdy. My name's Ife. This is Jessica. Um, I live with her. She awesome. came up with morals for moral support because I'm awesome. really nervous. Okay, so my question is, how do you um, differentiate like junk from not junk? Because my biggest problem is I just like throw everything away, and I know that's not the best thing to do. So like, how do you know like what to throw away and what to donate? Does that make sense? Yeah, for me, I I have a uh, it's like a one year rule. Um, and I guess it's more of a six-month rule. But I'll think to myself, like, six, like, I'll, I'll look at, um, oh, well, my junk drawer gets full, for example. I still have a junk drawer, and it will start to overflow. So instead of, like, coming up with a second junk drawer like I used to do, like, oh, this one's empty. I'll just start putting stuff in here. I will start to go through and be like, okay, when's the last time I used this, you know, little cable? Like, what does that even, what does that cable even go to? Okay, I know I haven't used this in the last six months. Um, I will uh, probably not use it in the next six months, and, and I, will, I will get rid of it. Um, but but typically, if I do put something in that junk drawer, it is something I think I am going to to use. Um, but like Josh said, you know, minimalism is a constant evolving thing. So something that I think is going to add value uh, 
tomorrow or in the next six months. It may or may not. Um, I have to constantly be asking those those questions to myself. Yeah, does it serve a purpose or bring me joy? And if not, I let go of it, and I'll ask, is it going to serve a purpose in someone else's life? And if it does, then I'll find a way to donate it. I'll usually find an aggregator to do that, like Goodwill or a donation warehouse or a place like that, so I don't have to go find the individual person. Unless it's something big that I can sell. Um, Becca and I sold a, a kitchen table recently on, on Craigslist. Got 25 bucks for it, and I mean that was a way I knew that I could add value to someone else's life. Now there are some things where you know Ella's artwork or something. I'm not going to be able to donate that, a and so um, you know we'll we'll get rid of it responsibly if we can. Otherwise, you know, I I'm not about living a, a zero waste lifestyle. I'm about living a considerably reduced waste lifestyle. And occasionally I'll have to throw things out, but it's appreciably less than than if I'm just doing it willy nilly. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for giving her support. <laughs> What's up, guys? Howdy. What's up? Um, I want to say, great movie. Um, Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, I like what you're doing. Uh, thank you. I, I have to give a shout out to my mom. She drove all the way from Arizona to see me and see this movie with her. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Thank you. So you've talked a lot about um, consumers, what they can do differently. What do you think big business, corporations, small business, what do you think they should start doing differently? Uh, when money becomes the opportunity cost, like that's what businesses need to start doing. I mean, you look at, uh, you know, you look at uh, Tim Cook who took over Apple and it wasn't like, hey, how can we make an awesome product for our customers? It was like, all right, how can we milk this thing? <laughs> I mean, that's what I felt like at least. Uh -huh. And they just started mass producing, you know, a bunch of different stuff. And now for the first time in Apple's history, they are, well, uh, well, not in the, their history, but in the last you know, decade or so since they've uh, really kind of been booming, they are now reporting a, a loss in sales because they were putting the money first. Um, you know, for us now, um, you know, people are first. Like, that is, that, is what, that, that is what we do, and that is what I certainly would encourage corporations uh, to do. In fact, you know, uh, I will go way out of my way to support corporations that do that or uh, small in independent businesses that do that. I think they set a really good example of that. You know, if I go to a, uh, you know, really good coffee shop, um, I can, you know, I know when I walk in there uh, how dedicated, how passionate those baristas are or, or the owner of that coffee shop is. And, and that I can tell they are putting, they are putting their passion first uh, and they are also creating an outstanding customer experience. Uh, and I can tell that money is not their, their driver. And I think that is where we have to start shifting eventually. That's where businesses should start shifting eventually. Because if they keep going after the money, I mean, we're, gonna, we're going down the same road. We're going to continue going down the same road we are now, which is, again, it's eventually going to, we're going to use all these resources and not have anything left. Yeah, we just say invest in people. I mean, really, that's what it comes down to. And we've been fortunate. This thing has grown way more than we ever anticipated. And it hasn't allowed us to go out and rent Ferraris or anything. It's allowed us to invest in a, a small team of people. So whether it's Sean or, or Jessica, who, who helps out with our social media, or, or Sarah, who helps out with some of our PR stuff, or any of the other folks that are on our team, we've been able to help them grow in ways, but, but invest in, in, in them as individuals, whether that's through interactions with them or, or monetarily or whatever. But, but helping them grow is, is my way to contribute. So I think small businesses ha are uniquely positioned to do that because they're going to work closer with their team and with their customers than any large corporation ever will be able to. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thanks, brother. Thank you.
I see one more. We're gonna we're gonna cut it off right. here. No more sneaking in line, but this is the last one. Really sorry. No, you're sorry. fine. You're one Come on, one thing that I feel really wasn't addressed. Uh, this is my first introduction to minimalism. Oh. And what like really scared me about the game is not like I need to buy new things all the time. It's that I can't let go of things that I have an emotional attachment to. Mm. So how do you minimalize that emotional attachment to stuff? Do you have any advice for that? I mean, like my mom keeps downsizing and she's like, this is your great grandmother's, your grandfather's. And before she gives me this box of stuff, it's already got this sentimental value attached to it. And I just find my closets filling up with more and more stuff that I can't let go of. How do you deal with sentimental items? In, in 2008, my mother moved from Dayton, Ohio to St. Pete Beach, Florida to finally retire because that's what you do when you live in Ohio. You move to Florida. And uh, a few months after she moved down there, she found out she had lung cancer. And uh, she spent the next year going through chemo and radiation, and I spent a lot of time with her that year as she was battling uh, stage four lung cancer. And eventually, in 2009, she passed. And I had to make one last trip down to Florida to deal with her stuff. So I flew from Dayton, Ohio, down to, to St. Pete Beach, Florida. And when I got to her tiny one-bedroom apartment, I found about three apartments worth of stuff crammed into her tiny one-bedroom apartment. And it's not like she was a hoarder, right? There were no dead cats in her freezer. <laughs> but she owned a lot of stuff. She had 65 years worth of accumulations. And I was going through all of it and found a bunch of stuff in her kitchen and her living room. and. Her bathroom was stuffed with stuff, and her linen closet had just, I mean, it was brimming with just towels and blankets and bed sheets and, and all this stuff. And then I got to her, her bedroom closet. She had 14 winter coats. A few of them still had tags on them. She lived in St. Pete Beach. And she had 14 winter coats. And so I did what any good son would do. I, I called U-Haul, and I rented the largest truck they had. Hold on to all these sentimental items, right? And then I, I invited some of her friends over to help me deal with the stuff because there was just too much stuff to go at it alone. And, and so I called up a storage locker because I couldn't commingle mom's stuff with my stuff. I already had a big house and a full basement full of stuff. But a storage locker... Yeah. The storage locker would let me hold on to everything just in case I needed it someday in some non-existent hypothetical future. You know, just in case. The three most dangerous words in the English language. And so as I waited for the U-Haul to arrive, I was packing up her stuff, and I found these four boxes under her bed, these old printer paper boxes. They're kind of heavy. They were sealed with excessive amounts of packing tape. So I pulled them out one by one. I sort of just stood there looking down at these, these four boxes. I noticed that each box was labeled with just a, a numeral on the top of each box. Just one, two, three, four. I stood there and I wondered, what could possibly be in those boxes? And we're out of time, folks. I hope you have a great night. <laughs> no, it was my old elementary school paperwork.
grades one through four. The awe takes over the crowd. <laughs> no, and, and so at first I'm opening these boxes. I'm like, why the hell was my mom holding on to all this stupid paperwork? But then all these memories came rushing back. And I realized she was holding on to all the memories that were in the boxes, right? But then I thought to myself, wait a minute. These boxes have been sealed for more than two decades. It became clear to me in that moment that mom didn't need to hold on to those boxes to hold on to a piece of me. I was never inside those boxes. But then I looked around at her apartment. I looked around at all her stuff. And I realized I was getting ready to do the same thing. Except instead of store her things neatly in a box under my bed, I was getting ready to cram it all into a big box with a padlock on it, just in case. So I called up U-Haul and I canceled the truck. And I spent the next 12 days selling or donating almost everything. And I learned some pretty important lessons along the way, but most important, I learned that our memories aren't in our things. Our memories are inside us, and they always will be. And by letting go of some of those things, I could actually, if I wasn't going to selfishly cling to those things, I would add value to other people's lives by letting go of it, finding the stuff a new home. And so letting go not only freed me, but it helped others. And so realizing that, it changed everything for me. When I got back home, I... I had to take an inventory of my own life and realize that, wow, there's a lot I could let go of here, too. Thanks. Thank you. Before we take off, I want to give a big thanks to all the folks here at the theater. Thank you so much for having us here tonight. Y'all are awesome. Let's give them a round of applause. And I think he snuck off, but uh, I'm still going to thank him anyway, because hopefully this will show up on the podcast. Uh, Crew Spence was here tonight. He is, was in the, uh, a version of the film that didn't make it here tonight, but uh, he'll also be in uh, a lot of the bonus content that, that were given out to you all as well. So he is a relationship expert, and uh, he just did some phenomenal work for the film. It didn't work in the, the final narrative, but it was, a f it was just a great interview. So we're going to be sending that to you all when the online release comes out. So we'll, uh, we'll thank him as well, if you're okay with that. Thank you. And I also want to thank, uh, it's really expensive for us to, to travel like this. Uh, and so we started a blog six years ago. And we couldn't even spell blog at the time. Uh, and there's a company called Bluehost that has helped us along the way. They host our website for us now. And they've been really supportive of this movement. And they didn't ask for anything from us, but they offered to fund some of our travels for this tour. So I just want to say thanks to Bluehost. They've been awesome for us. And most important, I want to thank you. We're going to be out there afterward dishing out hugs. Now, our hugs have gotten much better than this. We, we've learned the art and the science of the hug. So make sure you come grab one. Like I said, there are books out there as well. If you want to pick one of those up, there, pay whatever you want, or just pick one up. If uh, you didn't bring your wallet with you, that's totally okay. And um, if you leave here with one message tonight, we hope it's this. Love people and use things, because the opposite never works. Thanks, y'all.
Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Every little thing that you gotta have, every little thing that you gotta have, you gotta reach for and you gotta grab. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. So tear your eyes away, or tear. 